Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, a.k.a. Jarrell Mason. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know, give them their flowers, why they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have my brother, Free from In Touch. You can go catch the throwback interview on Beyond the Album Cover, where we talk about the history of In Touch and everything. But we're going to talk about history of music, hip-hop at 50, the brand new single, FaceTime, Breakdown, amongst other things. Free, welcome back to the podcast, bro. My brother, Jay, how are you? Man, I'm doing good, man. And for those that don't know, we had been planning this interview for a while, <laughs> but we had a lot of starts and stops, but we finally here. We made it, man. Yeah. And um, let me apologize in advance because I'm a little bit under the weather, but um, you know, I wasn't going. I wasn't going to postpone this anymore. We was going to get it done today. Yeah, man, I appreciate you um doing that for us. So let's just go ahead and just start it off the rip before we get into the new single. I want to talk to you about with hip hop turning 50 we're seeing a lot of celebrations in and around the country especially the big one that took place back in august i believe at uh, yankee stadium in the bronx the yeah i was supposed to go to that i got sick and couldn't go matter of fact i was supposed to go to the force the night before and then yankee stadium the last night the next night i had my i had my boys fly in from nashville because they had never been to nothing like that and uh, I got sick and had to go to the emergency room, but I made sure they got into the fourth show. But um, and I missed the next one at Yankee Stadium because I was in the hospital for like three, four days. But yeah, it, it's been a wonderful year for hip hop. And there's so many of my idols growing up that uh, I'm getting to see, see them really get their shine right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely good to see the elders finally get their flowers, especially those who are little known but are now getting the recognition but it's just my hope as a lover of music to keep that energy up after this year and i know they're starting to build the universal hip-hop museum and you have shout, Joe, shout the rocky Chris. butano shout the rocky rock shout the rocky butano he's the chairman of the hip-hop museum and i've known rocky my entire life we grew up in the same neighborhood the valley in the bronx and uh he's behind this whole thing Nice, nice. I definitely got to make my trip there to go ahead and see that Matter when fact, it finally gets done. Let me say it on air now so I you can hold me to it. I'm going to try to hook it up, my interview with you and him. Okay, bet, right. bet, bet, bet. And with the show Hip Hop Treasures, you know, you see LL, various hip hop luminaries getting collectibles and artifacts mm -hmm. to get placed into the museum. And for me, it was very refreshing to see Pete Nice doing yeah. it and for he, those runs that the museum. he runs the day-to-day -day at the museum oh wow but because the museum's not open yet but he had an annex mm -hmm. right across the street from where the museum is going to be in the south bronx mm -hmm. and i was just with pete and rocky and paradise and Cass and all of them they just had like a closing ceremony for that for that hip-hop week mm -hmm. and, I, and i went to that so I just got to see all them cats. Nice. And for those that don't know Paradise, look up X-Clan. And Pete Nice, look up Third Base, especially yeah. the Cactus album. Absolutely. One of the most underrated hip-hop albums ever. Legendary. And then, of course, if you look at the video for the Gas Face, you have yeah. the late MF Doom, when he was formerly known as Zell Love X from the group KMD. Yeah. And we was all on Electra together. Oh, wow. That's in KMD. We was, we was on Electra together. Cause that's that was in touch's home as well and i didn't know for years that that was enough i didn't know 
my daughter told me. Wow. And I was yeah. like, I've known him since he was a kid, kid. Wow. And I went back and listened to the KMD album that had Peach Fuzz on it. It felt mm -hmm. like they were very good, but just Electra didn't know what to do with them because it was kind of like you're kind of in the middle of kind of what De La Soul and the whole Native Tongues movement was doing, but they had their own lane style of sound. Absolutely. And they, if they were part of Native Tongue, if they was like a fishy part of that movement, that, that, that album would have been much better. Mm -hmm. It, it would have, but you know that that was um Dante Ross signed him, and who was always ahead of the curve with his ears. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know it was just a little bit early, but he did sign Buster Rhymes and Leaders of the New School. He did sign Grand Puba and and um wow Grand Nubian. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he he was ahead of the curve. Right. Shout out to Dante Ross for those that know Dante Ross, legendary record industry executive of the legendary label Tommy Boy. One of the most iconic hip hop, dance, R and B labels of all time. Now, when I was looking at, I believe it was last year or so, when Annie did the special about um different artists with hip hop, and mm -hmm. I was looking at the Buster episode, mm -hmm. and I believe Leaders of the New School was coming up under Public Enemy, and yeah. there was a story being related that there was another group that was coming up under PE, and they had to do a battle for the name. Of mm -hmm. the new school, and I heard that group was young black teenagers. Yes, yeah. Cameron, aka Jamal from House Party Two, and mm -hmm. DJ Scribble tapped the bottle. Yeah, I um, it's crazy because you can remember all around that time. That's when Two Hype was out, so mm -hmm. I was doing shows with all these guys, and you know, and I got to know Chuck and pretty well. And um, Keith Shockley is my man. Like me and him used to rock heavy, and um. You know, I was around them, and like when I first saw the picture of the young black teenagers, it was the funniest thing in the world to me. I was like, "Yo, this is irony and parody at its best." But homie could really rhyme. The little dude, what you say his name was? Cameron, aka Cameron. Jamal from um, House yeah. Party Two. So shout yeah, out to young black really teenagers, rhyme. man. Yeah, they were really dope, and mm -hmm. I really felt they could have gotten, should have gotten enough push. And then also, too, one thing that's been bugging me. With the hip hop at 50th celebrations, wow. we're seeing everybody being talked about. But this man, if it wasn't for him, rap wouldn't be pop. <laughs> Why has he not been on any of these shows performing? I don't know. I'm talking about Stanley Burrell, aka MC Hammer. Um, I think when they do a West Coast thing, he'll be on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people here respected Hammer's success. Mm -hmm. But the music didn't really resonate here. Not like N.W.A. did, not like Dre did, not like Snoop did. It just didn't resonate on, on this side of the world. He had, people had respect for his success. Mm. You know what I mean? And there was no doubt you did want to follow him on stage. I did shows in touch, did shows with MC Hammer. And mm. we we knew we had to do what we had to do because he was coming to tear it down. And um, I always had super respect for him. But, you know, it was just a different thing, man. And Unfortunately, I don't think they ever, you know, at that time, it was about bars here, bro. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Ice Cube had bars. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what he was writing for Dre was bars. And hold on, what's my other man who was in NWA? I can't remember his name right now. You know who I'm talking about. MC Ren? Yes. To me, he was the one. He was my favorite in the group at the time. You know, they had bars. These cats were spitting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, MC Hammer was an amazing entertainer. 
an amazing entertainer and let's no one can deny that he kicked open doors of hip-hop that no one did before him right you know and that I mean? whole movement in hip-hop coming out the bay yeah. you know with him e40 yeah. too short and then you're now seeing it with g easy and everybody else coming out of the bay area all mm -hmm. of them kind of i'm a big respect i've always been a big digital underground fan. oh recipe oh, shock G. I'm a, yeah like that cat was a musical genius and people don't talk about it like mm -hmm. he played his i played seven instruments bro and I think he played as many instruments as I do. Wow. And and I mean, not just like tinkering around, he was proficient on all of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there would be no Tupac, man, yeah. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for him. Yeah, definitely not. Started out as a roadie. Then, of course, we all know what happened next with Tupac and his solo career. But you mentioned earlier about how there was a difference in hip-hop between what was coming out on the West Coast and what was coming out in New York. You know, so it was kind of rare to see West Coast acts come to the East Coast, collaborate, and vice versa. LL went and got the LA Posse for the mm -hmm. bigger and deafer album. Battle Cat in them, yeah. Yeah, DJ Battle Cat and all mm -hmm. those guys. So what would you say back during that time period was the main difference between New York hip hop and what was coming out out West? I'm, I'm going to keep it a whole buck with you. New Yorkers, we were assholes. We were just snobs. We were assholes. If it ain't from here, it ain't real hip-hop. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. I was there the night Ice Cube got his stripes in New York. He played the Apollo when his first solo album came out, bro. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, he tore that bitch down. I mean, down. Everybody just had to give it up. Everybody had to submit. You know, I was a little more progressive than a lot of my boys. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, uh, he he earned it and people really started listening. And then, you know, NWA, we rocked with NWA here. Mm. You know, because we had we had never heard nothing like that. The closest thing we had to that, I don't know, have you ever heard of Mob Style? Mob Style, no. Fill me in. Uh, Mob Style, what well, you seen the movie Paid in Full, right? Correct. A Z and them um, turned into a rap group. Alpo wasn't in the group, but it was A Z, Pretty Tone, and a couple other cats. They had a group called mob style that was like an East Coast NWA. Mm. And I didn't have the success that NWA had, but honestly, the records weren't as, wasn't as good. But, you know, it, it was very much the same thing. But NWA had nothing but respect in New York. Mm. E-40 always had, cats from New York, we respected him. You know what I mean? Mm. And, uh, and, and come on, man, short dog, come on. How can you not no one in the world says bitch like that man. Nope. That's his favorite word. <laughs> no, nobody. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, um, you know, because we were assholes for a long time, bro. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's kind of good to see now you don't really have that regionalism to where you're kind of looking down on other regions saying, like, oh, if it ain't from here, I'm not playing it. It's where everybody is really into what everybody is putting out. It was almost the same approach when everything that was coming out of Atlanta was starting mm -hmm. to break outside of the South. And once Outkast really broke through with Southern Playalistic and that opened everybody's eyes to what was coming out of the South as to now you're seeing with hip-hop being the most listened to genre of music in the world, everybody's mm -hmm. just taking and pulling from different regions of the country and different parts of the globe. Yeah. I mean, well, you got to remember the, the very platform that we're on now changed everything. You know what I mean? It changed mm -hmm. everything. It made the world a much smaller place. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you remember when I was growing up, I would know records in New York that they wouldn't know down south. They would have records down south that I didn't know in New York. And the beautiful thing about going to travel is that you would hear. I remember when In Touch went on our first tour, we had a song on the album called Two Steps to the Right, a ballad. Mm-hmm. We had no idea that it was a hit in certain cities. And right. it wasn't even in our set. Mm-hmm. And we, we'd be in the show and the promoter would be like, yo, y'all got to do two steps to the right. What are you, crazy? Mm-hmm. And we hadn't rehearsed it or nothing. So we had to wing it. And then we had to add it into the show because we got to places like Kansas City, New Mexico, Chicago. They were stepping to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, But that's gone. The, the internet changed all that. Yeah, it definitely made the world smaller. And how you mentioned Ice Cube turned the Apollo out. And I believe the first album was America's Most Wanted, right? Yes, sir. And that, that album, was, and that salute. Was, yep, and that was done by Bomb Squad. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that gave him a good look in New York. He mm-hmm. was smart enough to go, you know what? Let me go get these cats. Because I'm going to get my love on the West Coast because I'm from there. And let me go get the hottest producers of the moment on the East Coast, which was the Bomb Squad. Right, yeah, Bomb mm-hmm. Squad, man. And, you know, Hank Shockley, Keith Shockley, Eric Sadler. I mean, yeah. their stuff, you know. But why I bring up Bomb Squad is because I don't know if you had a chance to see the documentary that Michael Bivens just dropped, The Hustle at it. 617, Mike Biv. I saw it too. And uh-huh. how, you know, they took Poison, gave it to the Bomb Squad, gave it that hip-hop feel, that mm-hmm. hip-hop sound, and that's why it still is a money record to this day. You can throw poison, poison on in the let's club keep, set. Let's keep it funky about poison, though. Go ahead. And I've actually heard this from like the New Edition camp, BBD camp, personally. They heard Too Hype and said, we can do that. <laughs> Jimmy and Terry heard Too Hype and was like, your damn sure can do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, because if you play poison and Too Hype next to each other, it's the same energy. It's mm-hmm. all hip hop samples, you know. I mean, we we played a little bit more instruments on it, but it was all the same energy. It wasn't no real sing singing on it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's one of the records. And they were from New Edition, so that helped it propel it even further. I mean, and I'm not hating at all, right. but you know, we were like, and I didn't even realize it. To Keith shot, I, I did a panel. Excuse me, my nose is running. Um, I did a panel with Keith Shockley, Large Professor. Easy Moby and a couple other producers, and they broke it down to me. I didn't even really understand it. Like, yo, like, too hype changed the game. They didn't know how to categorize you guys. They didn't know if y'all was rappers, if y'all was singers. They, they, they didn't know because there was nothing like it before. Y'all took what Teddy was doing and made it harder. And no one had ever heard nothing like that. Now, we never thought of it like that. We was just like, we're doing what we like. Yeah, yeah. And you know I want to talk about how, for me, that New Jack Swing era, very mm-hmm. influential, monumental in not only hip hop and R&B, but music, period. Because like I mm-hmm. tell people all the time, hip hop and R&B were on two separate sides of the floor mm-hmm. and they came together and merged. Although I would say Full Force was tinkering around with it and kind of sort of having the they formula. Yeah they, were the yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Absolutely the first. Yeah, with their work, UTFO, Lisa mm-hmm. Lisa Alice, Cold Jam, and yeah, that song, Alice. Yeah, shout out to Howie T. Oh, absolutely, shout out to Howie T. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they were they. I mean, but you gotta remember, we just all from the hood, man. So no matter how you know, like my two biggest influences in the world growing up was probably like it was hip hop before there was records. I'm just talking about the cassette tapes mm -hmm. when we would go to the connection and the fever and um the ecstasy garage, the black door celebrity club in Harlem. I was 11 and 12 going to these parties. Wow! So I saw all these cats. You know what I mean? So it, it was like so that was a major influence. And on the other side, for me, it was Prince. Mm -hmm. Prince and the time and all that. So very much what you heard musically come out of In Touch was pretty much those two things. Because a lot of people forget Eric was a pioneer in hip-hop. Eric McCain is a pioneer. He was one of the Affinity Four rappers down with, you had to heard of VST, the guy that did the scratches on Rocket with Herbie Hancock. Yes. And it, yeah, he, he was in his crew. He was on the first hip-hop tour to ever go to Europe. With wow. Bambada in New York City, and they don't talk about Eric enough with that, and it kind of makes me soft because he don't they don't give him his props how he transitioned from hip hop, and you got to remember our first our first hit record was a club house record, mm -hmm. and then for us to do two hyping all night, we mm -hmm. did four different genres within four years. Wow, you that's, know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know if I asked you this last interview. Whose idea was it to use the Groove Me sample for two hype? Eric. That was Eric McKinney. He played it for me. He was like, yo. Uh, and before he even finished the sentence, I was like, dude, listen, it's, it's, we got to. Everybody knows that sample. Everybody, our parents, our grandparents, everybody knew that sample. And you, But you know what the craziest thing about Two Hype is? You could do the ah, sookie, sookie part. You could go to do hype. You could do all that. And somebody may not know what you talk about, but the second you say, Put on my best. Can't believe that. They know the record. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. Like the the first first, the two hype is the most popular thing about two hype. It's weird. Yeah, because I think that was a record that Fat Joe and Tony Sunshine did, and they yeah. sampled the chorus for that. And then yeah, Jason Wheeler did it for the Stay With Me remix. Cameron did it, used it too. Cam used it. Um the other cat who was out. Like five, six, seven people used it, and no one used the beat. I heard rumor and actually heard like a light demo of Chris Brown messing around with it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think he ever got it to the point he wanted to get it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, people use it every two years or so. I'm getting a check from somebody who used it. Right. Yeah, man. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, back to the yeah. new Jack Swing. Now, with yeah. Teddy, when Guy's album came out in 88 and then prior to that, Make It Last Forever in 87. And then also in 88, too, you had I'll Be Sure in yeah. effect mode, then new edition, mm -hmm. the heartbreak album, and you guys being in the middle of all mm -hmm. of that, what was that like finally seeing like, oh, we get to hear hip hop beats over R&B records? You know, we never really considered ourselves part of the New Jack movement. We always, we always felt, that we felt like the ostr the ostracized bastard child of it. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. we didn't sound like Teddy and them. You know what I mean? We didn't sound like Al. Now they all of them had an influence in, in our production, mm. but we didn't go after that exact sound. Perfect example. You you'll enjoy, you love these stories. So after we did Touch and we did Without You, and it was such a big hit, that label went out of business. And um me and Eric locked ourselves in the house for like a month and did like eleven song demo. And they started traveling around. Now, have you ever heard the name Timmy Regisford? 
Okay, Timmy was a big deal at MCA. He did the new edition shit, helped with the old Uptown album. He worked on the Gerald Bugsby and all that. And he was the man in the New York office. He wanted us to sign the MCA. And then Vincent Davis came along. He said he was in the barbershop. And Cats was talking about, yo, them Cats touched left their label. He tracked it. He had his people track us down the next day. So mm -hmm. we had a little bidding war going on. And mm -hmm. this is how we ended up going with that. Now, Vincent had Keith Sweat. And Keith Sweat was the hottest thing in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. So what we did, they was, and Timmy wanted us to come to MCA, but he wanted us to be part of that whole thing with Teddy and Gene Griffin. Oh, today that, and all of that. Yeah. They want, he wanted us to be part of that. And me and Eric was like, we're not going nowhere where we don't produce ourselves. We don't need to be produced. We do that ourselves. So that's how we ended up going with, with Entertainment Electric. Wow. I definitely did, did not know that. And then for those that don't know, too, how I mentioned today, I believe they were originally signed to MCA. But what ended up happening was when Gerald Busby ended up leaving MCA to go over to Motown, he took mm -hmm. today, the boys and the good girls with him over to Motown. Yeah, he yeah. the new, respectively, Four Tops, Jackson 5 yeah. and Supremes. And the Bub, Bub is my man. To me, he's one of the most underrated R&B voices ever. Mm, I, I call I him hip hop Luther Vandross. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely, absolutely insane with it. Same way Christopher Williams is was the R and B, the young Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah, I felt like with Christopher Williams, the first album that he put on on Geffen, it was uh -huh. all right. But once he got on Uptown and hit that Changes album, yeah. I think that was where he found his stride. Absolutely. I mean, but you know. I'll never forget. I, Chris was this here at my house last week. As a matter of fact, on my new project, he's one of he's one of the singers on it. So we just cut his song here at the studio in the house last week. And um, I think I told you I've known Chris since kindergarten. Like we, we grew up together our entire lives. And um, I'll never forget Joski Love. You remember Joski Love? He we dance. Yes, he's he's family to me. So he called me one day. I'll never forget this. And he goes, "Yo." Why is Albie Shore singing Bobby Brown's song on Video Music Box? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I put on Video Music Box because I didn't know Chris single came out. Because if you remember, In Touch and Chris came out like four weeks apart. Mm -hmm. We all got our deals at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, I turned it on. It was Chris doing, I talked to myself. And I was like, they definitely went after my prerogative. It, and, exactly. And, and everybody thought it was Albie Shore. <laughs> Yeah, ex exactly. And um, shout out to Christopher Williams too. If you ever want to come on, Chris, you got a spot. But I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I can make that happen for you. Too. Yeah, yeah. With the changes, I was, I was album, talking to him earlier today. Yeah, with the changes album and every little thing you do. If you listen to the backing <laughs> vocals, I believe is Monica and Tara from mm -hmm. the Girls, another yeah. underrated group that. Oh yeah. Should have gotten much love, much more than what they should have. And you can which, catch my throwback interview with Monica and Tara from the girls. Which leads me back to let's let's we can't mention all that without mentioning Kanye West. God bless the dead. Because Kanye, I mean not Kanye, yeah. No, Kyle West, sorry. Kyle West, God bless the dead. Because he, I mean, Al did his thing, but Kyle West was amazing, dog. Mr. Um, Break It Down. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, Kyle yeah. West, Kyle West, he never got his props because he was an amazing producer. Nope, and you can catch my throwback interview with him on Beyond the Album Covers where he talks about the making of In Effect Mode, early yeah. Tevin Campbell, you know, discovering Jodeci. And mm -hmm. also with that time period, I consider these guys more R&B 
than what most people would say. They cut their teeth in R&B, but as you and I know, when that pop machine get a hold, things change. And I'm talking about new kids on the block because oh, I know Donnie and those guys, they cut their teeth doing R&B shows, rap yeah. shows. I mean, please don't go, girl. They did a video that only got play on BT, yeah. Video Music Box, and Urban Outlets before pop really came and took hold of them. I mean, but Donnie gives his Donnie gives his props. Whenever I see him in an interview, he he says, "Yo, we was just trying to be new edition. That's all we were trying to do." Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I we can't do nothing but respect that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely that. You know, I had a chance to interview Danny, and Danny was echoing everything Donnie said. You know, new edition was the blueprint for us. You know, we grew up, you know, right down the street from them, and yeah. we just pretty much wanted to take what they were doing, add our own spin our own flavor to it and mm -hmm. i want to circle back around to teddy and to think how it all started when he was in kids at work him yeah. and original guy member timmy, timmy gatlin you can catch my throwback interview with him as well shout out to alton Stewart. what up wokey yeah. and um how you can kind of sort of hear what was going with kids at work but really once guy really took hold i think that's where teddy really found his groove. Oh, absolutely. Found his stride once he got Aaron. And then, of course, later, Damon Dame. came in and ended mm -hmm. up uh, replacing Timmy when Timmy exited guy. Well, you know, there's been certain producers who just changed the whole face of music. Teddy was one of them. Timbaland is one of them. Pharrell is one of them. There's not a whole lot of them, man. There's a handful. Dre. Mm -hmm. Um... Cats from down south, um, um, the Dungeon Crew. These mm -hmm. cats changed the face of music, and and we talk about them. We got to talk about the all the all the trap producers too. They changed the face. They told them, um, what what's homie's name on the beat? I feel hard. I feel so old when I don't you, know any. Are you talking about oh. Metro Metro Boomin? Yeah, Metro Boomin. You know what I mean? These cats mm -hmm. changed the landscape, right? Right. And speaking of producers, you know, Nas just wrapped up a great six album run with producer Hit Boy, the three yes, Kings of Z's albums and the three Magic albums. Magic 3 just dropped just recently. I don't know if you know this, but do what? you know that Hit Boy's uncle is Rodney from Truth? Had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Hit Boy's uncle is a Rodney Benford from Truth. Had no, and you know, we toured, I think we toured with Truth more than anybody. You know, we we was always doing shows, trying to but and you know, going on stage before or after Troop was no easy feat, bro. <laughs> yeah, Troop was the West That's Coast New Edition for me. Yeah. For, for my top male groups, for me, New Edition is one. Troop is is right there. I mean, the spread my wings video, classic spread my video. wings. Spread my wings is one of my top three favorite records of all time. Definitely that right right next to Tender Love. Spread My Wings right. and Tender Love were two of my favorite records of all time. Right. Now, I don't know if you know this little backstory about Spread My Wings. I interviewed Chucky Booker, and Chucky told me that Turned Away was originally supposed to be a troop record. Yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. that too. But what ended up happening was he played it for Sylvia Rome, who was uh -huh. head of Atlantic at the time. Uh, and she told him, this is going on your album. He tried to convince okay. her this is a troop record. She wouldn't budge off of it. And he told the guys, Sylvia said, I got to keep it for me. And they were mm -hmm. like, nah, we want a record similar to that. And that's how we got Spread My Wings. Uh, Rodney confirmed it when I interviewed him. Mm -hmm. John John, 
confirmed mm -hmm. it, you know, when I interviewed him and Steve was, confirmed it again when he did his interview mm -hmm. with the RB Money podcast with Tank and Jay Valentine. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Um that um I was closest to John John out of everybody in truth. Me and him would like just sit down and build for a long time. Mm -hmm. But um they, they they would you know spread my wings. I would come out out my dressing room whether we went on before or after them. And I would when I knew that song was coming in their set. I would be on the side mm -hmm. of the stage every night. Yeah, Troop definitely tore the stage down, made it hard for any group that was going to come on after them on a show. Like, you want to get somebody to sing? They did. They sang like there wasn't no tracks. They were singing and doing all that dancing. Yeah, they were some some dancing fools. Now mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. He had one record. It was a single. Never released the album. He was signed to Uptown, but um, Nestor Velasquez. I know Nestor. I know Nestor for years, bro. That that yo, there's two Latin R&B acts that should have gone through the roof. One was Nestor, and the other it starts with an M. Ah, uh, are you talking about Mario Vasquez? No, no, no. In this group, um, Tony Perez was in this group. Menage oh, man, I mean, oh, they were with Prince Marky D and Corey Rooney. Yes. Now have I realize. Yes. Have you ever heard that album? Yeah, I heard tracks make you climb 18 and over. I Jesus. I want to say this right now. I've been beating this drum for years. Prince Marky D should have gotten more love as a producer and a oh, yeah, songwriter. Absolutely. But I yeah, think what absolutely. happened was everybody was still seeing them as fat boys, but not really taking them seriously as a producer, yeah. songwriter with the work him and Corey was doing. It's doing and him and Corey was the perfect blend for each other. You know what I mean? But yeah, Menagerie Dog, one of my favorite. I still have the cassette of that somewhere in my house. Yeah, I had a chance to interview Nesto, and mm -hmm. he explained the whole situation as to why the album didn't come out and everything. Because to me, when I first heard Personality, to me, mm -hmm. he, he sounded vocally like Christopher Williams. No, they did. Very, very. And that's when, you got to remember, that's when Uptown was going through their stuff with Chris. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they was like, okay, we stick this pretty dude in here to take the place of that pretty dude. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, it, it, it's just sucky business, bro. You got to love it. It's an abusive relationship. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's yeah. what I that's what I hear. And then also, too, um, Nesta also told me that he was originally supposed to have been in Barrio Boys. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that yeah, I, he, yeah, he was really supposed to have been in Barrio Boys. And I think when I interviewed Joe Jacket, Joe Jacket said the same thing, yeah. that um, he was originally supposed to have been in Barrio Boys, but he ended up going to Uptown and cutting personality, but let's talk about mm -hmm. the legacy and impact of Uptown, what the late Andre Harrell did for taking hip-hop, R&B, making it classy, making it glamorous, and then of course the young Sean Combs, Diddy Combs. That was the smartest thing Dre did to take Puff under his wing, because he saw the hunger in Puff. You know how I met Puff? I don't know if I tell us, tell us, tell us, please. Uh, it was maybe the summer of '88. It was bef right before, or maybe maybe the summer of '89, right before Two Hype came out. And you remember they used to have Jack the Rapper in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Now, me and Dougie have been friends. Dougie Fresh, we've been friends since high school. My mm -hmm. music teacher at Truman High School in the Bronx was his manager, so we so we was always crazy cool. So we saw each other down there and we were just performing too hype. And he was like, yo, I didn't know. So we're standing in the crowd talking. And he was like, yo, I just got a new telephone number. Let me give you my number. 
And he never moved his hands. I'm like, nigga, what you gonna do? Give it to me telepathically? Like what? And this little skinny dude with a high top fade popped up out from behind him. It's like, yo, here's his number, free. Nice to meet you, man. And blah 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 blah. And and Doug was like, oh, this is my man, this is my man Puff. He's like my assistant now. And that's how I met him. Wow. Wow. He, he was he, he was he was Doug's assistant. Like if you think about it, Puff always looks out for Doug. Always. Yeah. Hope, Whatever what he's involved in, if it's a major party, Doug is the host. Like he he makes sure because Doug Doug looked out for him. Yeah, and you know when Puff got fired from Uptown, started Bad Boy, and you hear everything that was coming out of Bad Boy during that peak period, it was just a remix version of what was going on at Uptown. But but what you got to remember is that you know Puff wasn't getting credit at first for the ideas he was coming up with. The first thing that he got credit for was the Come and Talk to Me remix. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I heard. But from day one, he was there. He was whispering in everybody's ears. And I was dating someone who worked at MCA at the time. So I was always in the building. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got, you know, that's how me and Aaron got cool. You know, because Rentertainment was considered the enemy to Uptown because mm-hmm. as well as they was doing, Keith Sweat outsold everybody. Mm-hmm. And then Two Hype came out and changed the landscape. Right. You know, we may not move as many units as them, but we changed the entire vibe. Right. And so, you know, but I was cool with everybody. I had no problems with nobody. I remember meeting Jodeci when he first got here from down south. We was all at a party at Andre's house. But Puff was hugely responsible. And the genius of Andre was letting Puff, listening to Puff. That 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 was the genius of 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 of, of Andre, you know, and he had a vision. He came into it with a vision. And Puff mm-hmm. put steroids in that vision and still, come on. That Love album is the best R&B album I've heard in the past three, four years. Bro. Yeah, I listened to that album. And to me, it felt like an updated version of what was going on at Bad Boy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Great songwriting. Great production. Um, It was conceptual. It wasn't just a bunch of songs being thrown together. I listened to that album. The day it came out, I listened to it three times back to back. Mm-hmm. Man, but while we're on Bad Boy, let's talk about the Hitman. Oh, that Tony, Tony Dofat, Easy Mo B. Hold up, Tony, Bronx Cat. Tony is a Bronx Cat. You know, I always got to get shout to my Bronx Cats. Tony's from, from White Plains Road. Get right. Yeah, Tony Dofat, Easy mm-hmm. Mo B, Hall yep. Pierre, mm-hmm. D Dot, Stevie J, Jack Knight, Amin Ra, the late mm-hmm. Chucky Thompson. I mean, <laughs> yes, sir. And and also, I believe Mary Brown was kind of up in the mix with in Bad Boy writing and some stuff. songwriting yeah. and everything. And for mm-hmm. those that don't know, Mary Brown, Abstract, Eminem, go back and look yep. at the Groovy video, the three girls in the back. Yep, that was Abstract. Yep, you you know your stuff. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm a historian, man. I mean, I was one of those kids that sat in front of the TV, watched Video Soul, read Jet Magazine, watched Soul Train, Video Soul religiously. You know, I love this stuff and to keep it preserved and alive. This is why I have the platform that I have. I may not have the biggest views, such as the biggest podcast. It's not about clickbait. It's about love for me. It's getting out the mud and just giving folks their flowers why they're here to be celebrated and also letting everybody know like, hey, I know my stuff. I'm just not getting on here just to get on here and just talk. You know who I would love for you to have a conversation with? If you and Quest Love got on camera together, it would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a chance to interview uh, Sugar Steve 
from Questlove uh-huh. Supreme. You know, it was really dope. But yo, if I could, you know, get in the room with Questlove, it would be very much like two music, you know, yes. nerds just really just having a full on conversation. Yeah. And you know, that would definitely be dope. So Questlove, if you're listening or watching. You just send it to his people. You should pitch it and send some of your shows. I think he would have an appreciation for you. Come on. Come on, Quest. I'm looking for you. Now, with rap being 50, as we're recording this, record this on Friday, October the 6th. On Mm -hmm. October 10th, 11th, and 12th, BT, in conjunction with Mass Appeal, that's Nas's company, they're going to be doing a three-part documentary series about Rap City. So can we talk about the legacy and impact of Rap City from Chris Thomas, Prince DuJour, Joe Claire, Big Les, Tigger, Mad Link, and how Rap City pretty much was one of the landmark shows that gave BT its stamp of approval in hip hop. Well, first, let me say this, and it's no slight to Rap City, but all that was is a shined up, bigger budget version of video music. That's all it was. You know what I mean? Ralph couldn't afford a set. So he had to go to where the parties were. But they looked at Video Music Box after not giving Ralph a deal, because he tried. And Ralph is one of my closest friends in this industry. Yeah, shout out to and, uh, Ralph. Uncle yeah, Ralph McDaniels. I call him the key master to hip hop, because whatever you need on anybody, he has the film. Believe that. Yeah, I saw the documentary that they did. You're now watching Video Music Box yeah. and how he still has the archives. He does. Just sitting. And I'm like, this must be preserved. He has my 25th birthday party. And it's funny because it was supposed to come on the week after the party and everybody was there. Puff, everybody was there. And he lost the tape and found it maybe two years ago. Wow. And the crazy thing about about Video Music Box, pre-internet, you just mm-hmm. kind of heard about it because it was just a regional thing. If you, oh, if you had a cousin in New York or something, they would tell people about it or send video tapes of it. But yeah, yeah that, that was, you know, we would run home from school, bro. Like, because it came on three o'clock every day. Yeah. And we run home from school because that's the only place we could see it. So Rap City, what it did for us nationwide cannot be denied. But it was definitely off the back of Ralph McDaniels why it existed. Yeah, and I had a chance to interview Lionel Vid Kid Martin and how when I was looking at the documentary of Video mm-hmm. Music Box, he said that he had tried to pitch it to MTV. Yeah. They turned it down. And then, of course, came up later with uh, MTV, yo, rap. MTV Raps. Yeah, they absolutely did. Hold on. I'm being harassed down here. Sorry. No worries. He, he, wanted, to be, he wanted to be on camera. No worries. <laughs> we, we love the dogs to help control the pet population. Get your pet spayed or neutered. That's, Rest that's in peace, Bob Barker. Now, I want to talk about this one gentleman that he doesn't get enough credit for what he mm-hmm. does, what he did in hip-hop, Herbie Lovebug. Oh, Herb is, he's, an, he's a visionary. Well, I think of Herb, I, I mean, I have respect him as a producer, but what I really admire and part of him that inspired me is he was a visionary. Come on. What he did was so, oh, Kwame, come on, Dana Dane. Come on, man. And they don't talk about how, how heavy that crew was. Yeah, I believe that was um Idol Makers, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Named yeah. after one of my favorite movies. Yeah, Idol Makers. And I think because of that movie, I also heard that was where Prince got the inspiration for the time. He absolutely did. He he absolutely did. I, I, I can confirm that. And the crazy thing when you think about the time, 
and Prince, how he Prince had so much creative juice to where I'm gonna put together these satellite acts to pump yeah. all this creative content that I want to get out, but in different forms and different lanes. Yeah, and here's and and here's the thing. Right around the Under the Cherry Moon tour, I think it was called the Hit and Run tour. Mm-hmm. If you look at Prince visually, that's when he was wearing the suits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And look, I bring out a picture of Cesare from the Idol Makers. Mm-hmm. He based his whole look off of Cesare. Right. I mean, damn near to the T. He, he even took a picture of the exact same pose. And if you didn't know the movie, you would never know. Right. And, you know, when speaking of Prince, Prince, I think, really didn't really dabble too much in hip-hop. He probably saw it from afar, but respected it. But it was where I heard it was a couple of years ago after he had passed, they released the Bat Dance remix and Big Daddy Kane was on it. And I'm sure it wasn't no issue because Cold Chillin' was a yeah. subsidiary of Warner Brothers. So and, that was like and, two and two. Dougie in and Dougie brought me in to his camp because we had hip-hop sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And that ain't like he couldn't do it, but he would be emulated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wanted the authentic raw that bounce, and mm-hmm. that's how that's how I got involved in this camp through Dougie. Wow, wow, that's, that's <coughs> definitely crazy. You know, I had a chance a couple of years ago to see Morris Day live at the time. The only original members at the time that was performing at the time it was Morris, Jellybean, and Monty. Mm-hmm. But just to think oh. about how. You know, with those three, Jam and Lewis, and pretty oh, much I've any... seen I saw them several times, the original lineup. Wow. And I know, and I could see why Prince was saying that's the only band I'm scared to follow. Because they were him. They were him. Everything they did on that stage, every note they played on that stage was, was Prince. Yeah, which was dope, and which was kind of like you created the competition, really. Yeah, you created your own monster. Mm-hmm. And, and then, exactly of course, we all that. know the story with Jamie Lewis after that. And um, being in the business, I was wondering, did you ever have any interactions with the late Clarence Avon? I did get to meet him two or three times. Um, first of all, he's one of my idols. He, he's he's one of my idols. Because when people try to say what Clarence Avon did, you notice it can't be done in one sentence. I call him the grand connector. He would take somebody from there and somebody polar opposite from there, put them together, some magic would happen, and he would get a percentage of the rewards that were reaped. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, he had no boundaries from presidents to, 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 to murderers. Mm-hmm. He knew them all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, him dying, that was, honestly, I think part of him was dead after his wife was killed. I, I, I didn't see him coming back from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the couple of times I met him, you know, he gave me no jewels of advice. Um, I mean, it ain't like he would talk nice to you. He wasn't that dude. He's going to give it to you rough, rugged, and raw. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, but everything is like you knew what he was giving you was nothing but love behind it. Yeah, yeah. And he was from Climax, North Carolina, which is just outside of greensboro and you know with what he brought to the industry from sussex and dennis coffee bill withers mm-hmm. taboo with sherelle alexander and, O'Neal. Hold on, if we want dennis, if we're going to name dennis coffee we got to remember he made one of the most successful break beats ever scorpio. scorpio which was sampled by ll cool j for the jingling baby remix produced by mr marley mall 
Absolutely. I grew up on that record. Yeah, because I didn't find out Dennis Coffey was white until I saw the Black Godfather documentary. <laughs> I, was, I remember seeing him on Soul Train as a kid going, oh, shoot. I had no idea. Yeah, which was crazy, you know, how back then you didn't have the visual medium of video where you really had to see the artist live. And a lot of labels, what they would do at the time when they would have a white act, they wouldn't put their faces on the album covers or single covers in order to keep the mystique. That's how they did Bobby Caldwell, rest in peace, Tina Marie, West, rest in peace. And then, yeah. of course, like I mentioned, New Kids earlier, they were on the R&B route before they got mm -hmm. rerouted to pop, pop. you know, mm -hmm. with Maurice Starr and New Edition. And I want to say this, too. We don't give Maurice Starr enough credit for what he, what he did for the game. I had the pleasure to interview him and just to sit and think about this Black man created the biggest pop group in the world, yeah. discovered the pop R&B group <laughs> that has spawned many of careers still Ooh. out and touring still still selling out influence selling out 40 plus years later can we just talk about the impact of mr maurice star the general look man i i met i only met him once and um you know you, you he had a thing about him that he he knew what he was and he knew what he carried and he knew what he brought to the game i think he felt somewhat slighted but I'm sure I'm sure his bank accounts did. Um, you know he um yeah people he made a, a, a impact on this game that um Lou Pearlman looked at and said wait a minute let me do that too, and that's how we got the Insinks and uh, what was the name of the other group Backstreet Boys yeah yeah and, and we were yeah we were talking about Full Force all, earlier all they mm -hmm. have to give Full Force I just want to be were the first one Insync cut. Even yeah. Britney Spears worked with Full mm -hmm. Force. She did a record called Love to Hurt Away. And to yeah. me, it was like a souped up version of All Cried Out. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. You know, and, and like you said, Full Force is another production squad that don't get the love that they should. You know, they 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 wrote a lot of hits, bro. Their catalog is worth some money. I won't be surprised if if they own their shit. I won't be surprised if the next major deal you hear about someone selling their rights to their shit is Full Force. Yeah, and you know, they did I Get Lifted for Barrio Boys, which was another group I felt should have had bigger success, but I felt that came out a little bit too early before the Latin pop explosion really hit mm -hmm. in the US. Cause had that album would have came out in let's say ninety seven, mm -hmm. they probably would have been would have been bigger here in the US. Probably so. Probably so. But you know, someone someone has to be ahead of the curve for the people to come behind. Sacrificial yeah. forms. Yeah, true. And just also, too, like how I felt 3T should have been bigger here in the U.S., should have translated their success from Europe over here, you know, with the work that they had on the Brotherhood album, Early Robin Thicke, Herbie yeah. Creechlow. Go check out my throwback interview with Herbie Creechlow if you don't know the name. Then, you know, Sharon Studios, you know, mm -hmm. Robin, you know, Ace of Bass. He was a part of that whole movement along with the late Dennis Pop and, of course, Mr. Max Martin. Yes, Max Martin. That's the king. Yep. That's the king, king of the hooks, king, king of records. Um, now, switching gears back to New Jack Swing, Gene Griffin. I heard yes. plenty of stories of Mr. Griffin, that he was a guy that you did not want to cross wrong. And how you mentioned how a lot of those older mm -hmm. industry cats, mm -hmm. they talked to you rough, raw, gave it to you no chaser, and 
you didn't want to cross them because they'll probably backslap you, pull out a pistol, and say, "I dare you to do something." Yeah, they 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 were from that school, you know. You know, Gene Griffin, Val Hackett, Danny. Um, well, I can't remember. Danny just got out of jail too. Underwood, he managed slaves and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were all from under the Nicky Barnes camp. They they was all from out of that. They they were like his youngins. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they, they lived by a certain code. When you saw them, they always looked like a billion dollars. You know what I mean? And their word was their bond, and they held you to the same. They held you to the same letter. And if you didn't make it to that letter, you know, that was that day. It is what it is. Yeah. Val Hackett actually managed us for maybe six months when mm-hmm. we were in transition in between labels. Mm-hmm. And uh, brought us up to Bob Powers' house. And we was going to record there. And uh, he had a whole nother deal for us on Atlantic that we that we didn't go with. But um, yeah, you know, those those cats was real, bro. With Bob Power, are we talking engineer Bob Power, the one that engineered the low end the theory and the trial call quest? The one and only, one of the best engineers ever. Man, that's definitely crazy. And how we were mentioning prior to coming on, we mentioned Pumpkin, how Pumpkin was the first super producer of hip hop, and you, and you were saying that he predated Larry Smith and all the work Larry did with Houdini. So can before we talk Rundi about MC, Pumpkin? Before Run DMC, before Houdini, there was a rap label, and knowing you, you already heard of Enjoy Records. He was out of Harlem. Pumpkin did all that stuff. Um, the Treacherous Three, Feel the Heartbeat, Feel the Heartbeat. He did all, he did that. He did the Funky Four Plus One More. That's the joint. He did the first um, Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five. He did all those records, bro. He did rocking it, rocking it. All of that was pumpkin. And he never, they don't talk about him, man. And he was the first super producer. He was the first one producing multiple records at one time, and they were all hitting. Wow, that's crazy. Then, of course, he put out King of the Beat. And I know yeah. for a lot of DJs, they would cut King of the Beat and mix that in with Beatbox. About uh-huh. Art of Noise, and one thing about uh-huh. Art of Noise, especially also to Thomas Dolby, they were kind of earlier adopters in seeing what was going on over here in hip hop. Said, hmm, we're going to embrace it. We're going to tinker with it. Uh-huh. I mean, I think Thomas Dolby did uh, Mr. Magic's wand for Houdini, right? I mean, you got me on that one, bro. I'm not. I wouldn't be shocked when I think about the production of it. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and then, I, I believe so. You can't forget the other dude, too. He was a punk rock dude. Then he started doing hip-hop. Malcolm McLaren. Malcolm McLaren. McLaren, yeah. Um, they did Buffalo, Buffalo Girls. Yeah, with the uh, world-famous Supreme Team. And mm-hmm. um, being from New York, mm-hmm. was it difficult for folks to pick a side as far as what mix show you were going to listen to on the weekend? Was it going to be Mr. Magic and Marley Mall and Fly Tie and them? Or was it going to be Red Alert, Chuck, Chill Out on Kiss? Well, at first, usually they, they were on different nights in the beginning. And Mr. Magic used to come on. And we can't forget we can't forget the awesome two, dog, Teddy Ten and Special K. They were there in the beginning, too. They were on the same station as, as Mr. Magic before Mr. Magic went to WBLS. And that was on WHBI, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, everybody was on different times. And as a matter of fact, I think in a week or two, Red Alert is getting ready to celebrate his 40th anniversary on the radio. And he is still on the radio. Wow. You know, and I also had a chance to interview Red Alert as well, just to think about how, you know, hip hop started out as a genre of music where because of racist policies, 
mm-hmm. because of underfunding of after school programs of mm-hmm. the social services to where kids and folks can't have what they need. Mm-hmm. You made something out of nothing. We're gonna take the power from the street light, go to mm-hmm. the park, set up, have everybody come, dance. And you knew that if it was a party going on in the park, if something was going on in a rec center, a basement, an armory, you knew that, okay, it was going to be a little bit quieter tonight because for these couple of hours, everything was going to be all right. So can we talk about for you seeing Uh, hip hop from its infancy and seeing it where it is now? I tell people the metaphor that I use is I, I saw hip hop get smacked on the ass. I mean, I was a little dude. I was real little and probably didn't have no business being at a bunch of the shit I was at. But um, I was there, man. Like Raheem, to this day, from the Curious Five, is like my big brother. We all went to school together. Him and Christopher Williams was best friends when we was kids in Truman High School. We all went to the same school. Me, him, Raheem, Rod Strickland, the basketball player, we all went to Truman High School. So, um, yeah, man, it, it, it's... Where I grew up was called the Valley. It's off, and when people don't even know the area of the valley, they know Gun Hill Road. And it was right off, and how ironic that that's the name, because there was a lot of Gun Hill in there, Gun Hill Road. <laughs> but, um, and we had a park on Halfin Park, but that's the, it's the real name, but everybody called it Valley Park. Mm-hmm. And everybody who was anybody from Flash to Breakout, the Funky Four, matter of fact, our park was so popular that they had a Sugar Hill Day. When Sugar Hill was at the mountaintop, they had a Sugar Hill Day in our park. Wow. And we we had a stage in our park, and that's what made it different. Like how Central Park has their band shell, we had mm-hmm. a band shell with bleachers and everything. Wow. And um, that's kind of, and people don't talk about Valley Park. Like they tend to go off, you know, them cats played mainly disco back then. But everybody was using disco beats back then. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But Bam played our part. Anybody was at Kokush 4 played our part. Everybody played our park because it was like the Madison Madison Square Gardens of parks just because the setup was so dope. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I seeing that and then going to the clubs, like I mentioned earlier, the T connection, which was right off of Gun Hill and White Plains Road. Going mm-hmm. to Celebrity Club on 125th, going to the Black Door, going to Disco Fever. You know, I seen, you know, Love Bug Starsky was like an uncle to me. You know what I mean? These cats, you know, if you didn't know them, you was only a degree or two away, so it was like you knew them. Right, and you mentioned Disco Fever, Legendary Club, and if you've seen the movie Crush Groove, that was where all of the stuff took place, and how Mm -hmm. with Crush Groove and uh, New Edition did a cameo for Crush Groove, and how Mike was talking about how, because at that time, hip-hop couldn't really move around and tour, because mm-hmm. they couldn't get the insurance for the venues. You got to have insurance first before you go into these venues. So Absolutely. what they would do is that they would backdoor the rap acts to go on tour with them because, you know, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed to get in with an R&B group as your mm-hmm. headliner. And I also look at it now, it was smart because not only do you capture the female demographic with new addition, you get mm-hmm. the dudes because you got Houdini, Bad Boys, UTFO. You got to sit through the rap acts to get to new edition. You may, you may leave with a number at the end of the night if you're lucky. We would end up, we would do shows like it would be us, Heavy D, um, Troop, Kwame, Big Daddy Kane, Latifah, and EPMD on one show. Like they kept it really balanced. And we'd be playing someplace like Minneapolis. You know what I mean? Wow. 
So it it, it was very um, they kept it balanced, and I, yeah, it was because of insurance reasons. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Like how um, you know, of course, just recently, right now, Tony 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 is currently on their tour, and well, we how... toured a lot too. We toured with them a lot too. Yeah, yeah, and they were talking about how they were on tour with NWA. Yeah, they were at that show when in Detroit. They get NWA got pulled off the stage because, of course, they were told you can't do that to police. Uh -huh. They did it anyway. But just how back then it was an odd to see a rap act, an R&B act, be on the same bill. And I kind of look at it as genius marketing. No, absolutely. And it was a smart thing. And they did what they had to do. I don't, I don't even know if it was the sponsoring thought behind the booking like that. But because insurance reasons, it made everybody look like geniuses. You know what I mean? And as far as Tony, 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 I felt, well, I, first of all, let me say that they are some of the best musicians in the game. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry, people. This cold is whipping my butt. Um, they are some of the best musicians. Like, I'm good. They're exceptional as musicians. You know what I mean? Yeah. That whole Oakland thing, that Sly and the Family Stone thing, that Carlos Santana thing, that's in their blood. You understand? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but we did a lot of shows with them and we kind of looked at them as the West Coast version of, of us mm -hmm. because like we didn't exactly fit into New Jack Swing. We wasn't exactly hip hop. They didn't fit into regular R&B. Yeah, they had a little bit of the elements of New Jack Swing from the mm -hmm. debut album, Who, which was produced by Foster and McElroy. And of course, they came from, M came from Club Nouveau and then uh -huh. they turned around and created in vogue and i believe mm -hmm. foster and McElroy, they don't get enough credit for what they brought to the industry either now them cats had amazing ears bro they had amazing ears because they found one out and found great acts yeah definitely great acts and um i was curious have you ever had any interactions with a uh, redhead kingpin who i felt was very underrated yeah i absolutely did me and him was really cool at one point yeah i used to we all you know what we would all go to parties and we mm -hmm. all see each other in the parties and I guess like all the record guys, we just hang out with each other. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, Red Kingpin, definitely very dope. Good guy. Very, I, can really, I liked him as a person. And yeah. I can't say that about a lot of people in this game. Yeah, and the thing about the industry is one of those industries where it's almost like a facade where yeah. you're going to look one way in public, be one way in private, and it's rare to kind of find somebody who's the same in the industry and the same out. What the crazy thing is, it was like me and Eric. Well, both of us was never the ones who was trying to be the most popular cat in the party. You know what I mean? We mm. rocked with our crew. Now, mm. some people thought of that as arrogance or aloofness, but it really wasn't. It was like we was both kind of shy. Like if you got to know either one of us, you knew it was like, oh, they rock with you to the end. Mm. So it was a lot of people that we met in passing that we didn't end up hanging out with. But the people we did hang out with, I hung out with more people than Eric. Mm. You know. Because I knew a lot of people. You got to remember, I started rodeoing for Unlimited Touch in the early 80s. Mm. R&B group on Prelude. I had two giant hits. I hear music in the street and searching to find the one. And I was their roadie when I was 13, 14. So a lot of people in the industry already knew from then. So mm. I was a little bit more comfortable in my skin. But, you know, we, like I said, we always felt like the, the outsiders. And not that we bothered us. We preferred it. Mm-hmm. We knew everybody, but it ain't like I was calling, you know, I was calling heavy, like, yo, let's hang out. I mm -hmm. mean, me and Chris was close because we knew each other our entire lives. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
me and Joski Love got really, really tight, you know. Right. Uh, but certain people, I just felt fully on. I felt nothing but authentic energy. Big Daddy came from the day we met uh, backstage at the Apollo. We just started talking, and it was like we we was, we knew each other forever. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it's rare to kind of make a forever friend in the business. And how you mentioned Heavy D, mm-hmm. you know, listening to those Heavy D and the Boys records. Very good records, very well produced. And this guy here doesn't get enough credit for what he brought on the production Say side. Say his name. Say his name. Eddie F. Eddie F. <laughs> Eddie F. Come on. If you want to come on beyond the album cover, come on, man. I mean, the work that he did with Heavy D and the boys and later with the Untouchables with Yo, David Jam Hall, Neville Hodge. and My favorite Heavy D record. You want somebody to love me for me? That baseline on that record, mm. Eddie, that to me, that's one of the illest baselines ever. Mm. Ever. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And dog, yeah, people, like when they think Eddie F, they don't think producer. You know what I mean? And right. they, you get Pete Rock and you think producer. Mm. And Eddie probably produced almost as many hit records as Pete. And that's taking nothing away from the genius of Pete. Right. And I mean genius when I say Pete, but Eddie, heavyweight in his own, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe definitely that. And, yeah, and through the Untouchables, we got, I think, one of the most underrated male groups in R&B that should have been bigger, but for reasons or another, we never know. Intro. I already know where you're going. I already know where you're going. I got an intro story for you. Please share. Okay. I was um hanging out with Jeff and, you know, Jeff and Buddy are doing shows. They're touring. Mm-hmm. So I went to a show they were doing and just hanging out and talking and he was like, do you know we got our name from y'all. I was like, what? He was like, we love y'all. And we we saw your name was In Touch. That's how we named ourselves Intro. Wow. That that bugged me. You know, because stuff like that just humbles you, man. But you don't you don't think about it, bro, or how you may have influenced somebody or made somebody feel like they can do it too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not a regular thought. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you're just in the moment. And I had a chance to interview Buddy, and Buddy was telling me, well, let me be the one. Originally, mm-hmm. that was supposed to be for Mary J and supposed to go mm-hmm. on to 411. But for mm-hmm. reasons or another, I guess it didn't make the cut and it was already turned in. So they mm-hmm. ended up putting it on the debut. Well, you know what? First of all, Kenny was an amazing writer. But he was an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. And a nice guy. <clears throat> really nice guy. But out, outside of that, that whole thing one of my biggest regrets, and I don't really believe in regrets. Um, I remember coming home one day and my mother was like, some kid named Puffy called the house like five times looking for you. I'm like, word? So I'm like, okay, so maybe I'm in the house 15, 20 minutes. Phone rings again. I'm like, hello? Yo, Free, what up? It's Puff. I'm like, yo, what up? He's like, yo, I need you for this project, bro. Now, at this time, I was producing a group whistle. Right. I was doing I was working on their last album mm-hmm. and they were paying me like 10, 15 grand a song. Mm-hmm. So Puff calls me like, yo, we got this chick named Mary from School Street Projects. I'm telling you, she's a beast free. She's crazy. We need that two hype shit. We need that. That's what we need on this album. Y'all set the tone. I need this. I need you to come up with a joint. I was like, well, what's your time frame? Like, he's like, yo, I need it like yesterday. I'm like, yo, bro, what's your budget like? And he was like, it's a little tight right now. I was like, yo, I got. Let me finish the whistle project. And as soon as I finish that, I'll get at you. 
by the time I finished Whistle Group, it was done. And I missed my chance to be on What's the 411. So you would have been producing on What's the 411 along with Marky D and Corey? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Because if you think about Real Love, Too Hype Energy. Yeah. Audio 2, top billing sample. Yes. Yes. So he went and found what he needed. But yeah, he he wanted he wanted us to produce on our album. I was so busy, caught up in the money I was making off the whistle project. I was like, I'll get at you. And every time I see his ass, every time, doesn't doesn't fail. Mm. He'd be like, I called you. I'm like, yeah, Puff, I know. Nigga, I know. I oh, you. so yeah, so pretty much got that Michael Jordan and I take it personally energy. Yeah, you know, he was like, free, I called you. I mm. called you. Yeah, you, you can't never say I didn't call you. You had your chance. You had your chance. And now what I want to go here and talk about is that we have New Jazz Swing emerges in the hip hop soul. But before we go there, I want to talk about this band out of Buffalo, New York. Rick James set the standard for this band. You probably know who I'm talking about. I already know who you're going with. They were originally called Attention. They were signed to Allen in 89, but the world got to know them as Joe Public okay. and Live and Learn dropped in 92. It set off a firestorm, and I felt they were so underrated. They should have gotten more success. They had a lot of Tony, Tony, Tony in it because they again they were accept, they were great musicians as well. And my man Lionel Joe was their manager. He also was the manager of Arrested Development at one point. Mm. And um, yeah, they they were dope. They were dope. I heard their stuff way before it came out. Lionel had played it for me. Because oh, he was close to my manager at the time, Vincent Davis. Mm. And uh, he had played it for me. And I was like, these cats is going to hit. And when I heard Live and Learn, I was like, that's out of here. It feels like a nursery rhyme. Anything that feels like a nursery rhyme is going to work. Mm. And how you mentioned the rest of development, um, I was listening to speeches, interview on Quest of Supreme, and they had talked about how Tennessee is sampled Alphabet Street from Prince and how Prince heard the sample. And instead uh-huh. of saying, nah, Yank it, kind of like what Gibbard O'Sullivan did with the Biz Marquee Alone Again Naturally record off the I Need a album. Prince said, just give me this and we'll be cool. I'll go. Well, you know, I got the worst story for you. Outside of Biz, Biz is the worst because Biz ain't make no money off that song outside of show money. All right, go ahead. Nice and smooth. Sometimes a lot slow, sometimes Oh, Tracy Chapman, Fast Cars. Raped and pillaged them. Took everything on that song. And that's one of their biggest hits. Now, is it based on how the deal is set up for sample clearance? Because I heard a story about when Diddy had gotten the sample for Every Breath You Take by the Police. I guess Mm -hmm. Sting had a setup to where, okay, I want this much Mm -hmm. or I'm going to take it up front. Are you going to give it to me gradually? Now, so are most deals for clearances, is that set up by whoever owns the rights to the record and the label? How does that yes. generally work? Yes, yeah, like when people sample too hype, they have to call me for clearance. You know, they'll call my publishing company or get directly in contact with me and be like, listen, we're going to show you the song. This is the portion they used of it. Blah, blah, blah. Is it cool? Mm-hmm. And then I tell them how much percentage I want. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if they can't do it, if I feel the record's going to be big, I may come down. If I feel like it's something that's in, I want my money up front. So I'm like, nah, I need this. Mm-hmm. If y'all can't do that, sorry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's a friend or something, that's different. Mm-hmm. If it's somebody I don't know, you know what I mean? 
Okay. Yeah, so it almost kind of feels like hip-hop in the early days before you had to go above ground to get samples cleared. It almost kind of feel, felt like where you had to hope the song didn't become a hit because if it yeah. did, they were going to come knocking and they were going to go no Vaseline style on you. We still looking over our shoulder for King Floyd, bro. We still to this day like, is he coming? <laughs> I'm just scared I'm going to walk outside my house one day and hear, ah, oh, suck it, suck it now. <laughs> because, you know, it wasn't a real clearance yet then. Mm. Just check it and put it out. Now, when you all put the sample in, this uh -huh. was, was this pre SP1200 or what were y'all using to put the sample in? You know, I love, only you ask questions like this. You and Quest Love. That's what I'm, y'all got to, y'all got to lock in. Um, we did the whole first In Touch album with an FZ1, Casio FZ1, an mm. MPC60, Mm. Uh, S900 sampler mm. and a couple of Yamaha modules, keyboard modules. Mm. The whole album we did with that. Mm. Other than playing live bass and guitar. Wow. So what was the sample rate time in order to get the sample? Because I know on some of those machines because you only had maybe three to four seconds of sample time. Jay, it, Jay, it was faster than a cat can lick its ass, bro. <laughs> it was fast. So what you would do, you would speed up the record mm. and then slow it back down the pitch. Mm. And you would make it super fast so you can get more in. And then once you got it in, you can slow it down. Mm. So y'all would sample it at, at 78 and then bring it back to a 33? Exactly. Exactly what we would do. Wow, that's def definitely crazy. And you speak talking about the the, the MPC 60. Uh, I was talking about the SP 1200 and how Large Professor, he took that machine, made it something, and he produced a lot of the Main source album and of course Nas Illmatic and mm -hmm. how it almost kind of felt like with those early machines, how it was where you had to lock yourself in a room and it was trial and error to learn how to use it properly. Well, you know who the sensei of the SB twelve hundred is, though, right? Tell us, Easy Mo B, baby. Flavor in your ear, warning, all that. That's the SP twelve, baby. Wow. It, it, he did all them joints on that. Wow. wow. He's an SP12 guy, Primo's an MPC60 dude. Mm. You know what I mean? He won't even work on the 2000. He would give me the 60. You know what I mean? Wow. And I don't know if you saw this video. There's a video floating on the internet. It just came out. I guess JD was getting some stuff together for a hip hop celebration or something for So So Dev. And he still had the box with all his floppies of all his yeah. sounds on it. I'm like, how in the world you managed to preserve mm -hmm. floppies that's over 20 Eric, plus years old? Eric is Eric is like that. He still has the original floppies for Two Hype and that whole first In Touch album. He has all of them. As a matter of fact, at one point, Sean Kane, worth a puff, called me. Like, yo, Puff wants to try to figure out a way to use Two Hype. Eric sent him the actual loops that we used on Two Hype. Sent wow. him to Puff. And you gotta remember that they're all Mount Vernon crew. Eric lived here. I'll be sure I lived up the street. Puff lived like two blocks that way. Kev lived another three blocks that way. Eddie F, Pete Rock, they all was from, you know, within a mile of each other. Yeah, and it's crazy to think how the limitations at the time technology-wise of hip-hop and R&B produced classic material because I've heard yeah. when Teddy was making all of those hits on Guy, Bobby, Today, and all of that, that was in the St. Nick's Projects. Yeah. 
That was that that was I, I've been there. That was the projects. I played CeeLo out there. And that 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 was the projects. Yo, believe it or not, a lot of the first, the second in touch album, we did it at Eric's house. We took our, our advance money mm. and bought a studio and put it in Eric's bedroom. Mm. And that's where we did a lot of the second in touch album. Now was the vocal, like, huh? now was the vocal booth the closet or was it like the shower in the bathroom for the acoustics? We literally built the vocal booth in his bedroom. So you can imagine how tight it was. Huh? We had a board. We had a two-inch reel machine, a vocal booth, our keyboards and everything set up in there, in his bedroom. Mm. <laughs> now, when you guys were making the album, was Electric good at just letting you guys be creative? Or were they kind of sticklers saying, okay, we need to hear a rough cut by this now, time? The first, album, the first album, they just let us do our thing. But, you know, you get a couple of hits, now everybody wants to be involved. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the, the, the demise of In Touch, actually, because Vincent Davis got way too involved. Like, mm-hmm. we had to go on the road or something. We came back, and one of the songs was mixed, and we hated the mix. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yo, this ain't right. And he wouldn't change it mm-hmm. because he was the executive producer. So at that point, it was like, yeah, well, you know, we stopped caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? so it's kind of hard when you're an artist that really wants to create and really don't want to have all the cooks in the kitchen to find a label that just let you have room to grow. Like, okay, we're not going to bother you. Here's your budget. Just yeah. give it to us when it's done. There's nothing wrong with feedback, bro. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't take my children and dress them and send them to the school of your choice. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, like if we're doing this as a collaborative effort. I'm going to pick the school. Give me your feedback. And if you tell me something about that school that's not right for my child, all right, we're going to find another school. Right. I just went through that. A record just came out today. C.C. Rogers, House Club Music Legend. And he's like my big brother. Mm. And the single that's out right now, I produce, it's called um, Miracles. And the initial feedback today has been amazing, but I hate the mix. And, mm. I, you know, I got no problem saying it because I said it to him. I was like, bro, when we do songs together, you can't put out records no more that we do together unless we both go, yo, this is it. That's perfect now. Right. Because I hate the mix. So I, I sat here the other night, and you hear me with this cold. I had a hundred or something fever the other night. I sat here and did the remix for the single and redid a main version mm. with a hundred and two fever just because, you know, again, it's like taking my child and sending it to the school of your choice. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of rough cuts and mixes, there was an interview Dallas Austin did on Quest Love Supreme. Mm. And he was saying most of the cuts on Cool Air Out Harmony were rough yeah. cuts. They weren't yeah. finished. They weren't finished. But I'm that's like, why it felt like that. That was dope because with all that pretty harmony and all the polished vocal, the tracks were raw as hell. And that's what made it kind of work, bro. It was the best of both worlds. Yes. No pun intended. Yeah, still my favorite Boyz II Men's album. And you can hear on that album, a lot of those cuts had Boyz II Men would have passed on. Easy could have went on the Highland Place Mobsters album. Oh, yeah. Because that, that Highland Place Mobsters album was crazy. It, was, it, it should have did way more, more than it did. But it, it was crazy. The, fun, the crazy thing is I'm hearing all these stories. I only met the brothers once or twice. And they were cool when I met them. But um, the way they, I'm hearing everybody talk about boys the men now. It's just like, yo, they, they just got full of themselves. They started treating people crazy. I I, I hope that's just people's opinion and not fact. Right. I mean, I love their music and nothing would change with me loving their music. 
But it's just like, yo, I don't care who you are, how hot you are. Like, Drake is king of the world right now. One day he ain't going to be king of the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As a matter of fact, as soon as this interview is over, I'm going right on Spotify to listen to his new album before I start working. Right. And then another person I want to talk about that was right in the mix of the New Jack Swing era. You always saw his name in the credits along with all the Teddy stuff. And you probably know who I'm talking about, the late Bernard Bell. Can we talk about Mr. Bernard Bell? Come on. There would be no Remember the Time without Bernard Bell. Teddy has said that. You know what I mean? He, 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 he. I don't know if he had the sponsoring daughter, but it took that collaborative effort for that record to be what it was. Mm. And I don't care what no one says. That's one of the best records of all time. Performed, mixed, produced. That record is flawless, bro. Yeah, that Dangerous album, my favorite Michael album. And uh, and I also felt that Randy should have gotten more love and credit with what he did with Randy and the Gypsies. That album was nuts, too. No, that that album was dope. And I I was cool with a guy that was in the group, Chris Kello. He was a keyboard player who was originally in the system. He he was one of the keyboard players in the system. He just passed away like a month ago. Are you talking about Chris Kello, who was originally in the group Attitude, Attitude. and the Pump Up the Nation album, vocalist Cindy Mazel, You Can Read My Mind? You know what? You never cease to amaze me, bro. You just know stuff that's beyond your age. Now, Cindy Mazel. Is she related to the Mazels from the corporation? I have no idea. From Motown? Yeah, but I, but I know that if you could read my Ryan record, that record was one of those regional records where for the Quiet Storm, whatever it was called in your area, it was one of those records Quiet Storm that, too. that get heavy airplay. Well, and you know, and she was part of that all-star background singer crew, like her. I don't know. If, do you know who Audrey Wheeler is? I know who Audrey Willer is, Allison Williams, who I had a chance to interview as well. You know, yeah, well, Audrey's like my big sister. She was mm-hmm. in the group Unlimited Touch when I was 14 and 13 and Atlanta Rodin. And mm-hmm. she was the one who would stop me from getting into the stuff I was trying to get into. Mm-hmm. And she's still like my big sister today. She's she she tours with Chaka Khan now. She's mm-hmm. one of the chocolate background singers, and she still sings for everybody too. Wow, but crazy. that crew was the elite background mm-hmm. singers. Her, Stephanie James, Cindy Mizell. Um, Lisa Fisher, that mm-hmm. whole crew, everybody wanted that crew to sing on their things because they was quick, they was fast, and they understood tonality, they understood blend, and they was in and out. Right, and that was kind of the way for vocals who would later become stars, you know, to mm-hmm. cut your teeth. You know, Luther started out as a background vocalist doing the commercial jingles, did David Bowie, Young Americans. I think Phyllis Hyman, she did commercial jingles yeah. and later became who she became and yeah. what was it about being a background vocalist that kind of caused you to say okay this is how I learned so that by the time I become my own thing I could apply it well you know first of all monetarily speaking you know you're doing commercials you're doing you're making more money doing that than you are as a, as a solo artist in the beginning mm-hmm. You know, they're walking into a studio for a half hour, an hour, and they're getting paid union rates and leaving with like $3,000 for a half hour work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the money is overflowing. So you may be in the spotlight more, but mm-hmm. it's going to take a while to match that money that you was making doing that. Right. You know, some people don't want to leave that. Yeah. And how I want to circle back to Puff and Mary and mm-hmm. how with What's the 411, you definitely heard the hip hop influence on the record. 
and the look and definitely on the remix album but it kind of started with this one song they took the acapella vocals of this record you probably know who i'm talking about and where i'm going and uh -huh. then this one break beat in hip-hop that is still being used to this day will never stop the, being used. yeah it was the 52 beats mixtape by the legendary kid capri came out of 89 mm -hmm. where he mm -hmm. mixed something in the way you make me feel Stephanie by Stephanie Mills. Mills, and uh -huh. impeach the president by the honey drippers and how mm -hmm. that if you can trace mary what's the 411 back to that you can go further back bro i remember hearing that beat from i was like maybe 10 11 years old like it's always been there it just got popular worldwide but that was the record that when the mc was nice he wanted that beat to rap to and mm -hmm. back in those days you know every d every crew had two or three djs and it was mm -hmm. certain records that every DJ wanted to play because it got the crowd hype. And that was one of them, Impeach the President. That record has been around the majority of my life. Yeah, and, and it was constantly be used as a breakbeat. And the one thing that I'm glad to see this time around with the 50th anniversary, that the fun era of, of hip hop is getting appreciated and seeing the kid in play, getting yeah. their flowers and saying, like, these guys weren't corny at all. It was wow. because of the tone and tenor of hip-hop at the time that First we really all, couldn't appreciate him. Understand, Play was a street dude, dog. He was a street dude. He was out in the street, like, streeting. You know what I mean? Mm. He cleaned up to do this because he saw his friends and his people going to, excuse me, going to jail and getting laid down. Mm. He was like, wait a minute. That ain't sexy. Let mm. me find something else to put my energy into. And mm. here's another one. A lot of people don't realize that Kid is originally from the Bronx. Yeah, he's from he he's from up near Boston Road, not far from where I grew up. He went to Bronx Science High School. Wow, you know what I mean. So he he um, you know, I was always really cool with them too, especially kid. Yeah, yeah. Him and Tuffy, Tuffy was one of the hosts on Video Music Box, mm. and he's also going to become an amazing actor and casting agent. He's at mm. he's actually the godfather of my oldest son, oh, and um. Yeah, so, you know, we would all hang out. We end up at parties, go to diners after the party, sitting here at 7, 8 in the morning, just acting up. You know, it's been a dope life, man. That era was mm. a little different because it wasn't nobody rubbing, rub, running up on us trying to snatch chains off our necks. Mm. I mean, it would happen occasionally. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, these kids out here now, they got to always walk around with security. Mm. That I, I wouldn't want that life, bro. Yeah, I wouldn't want that either. Now, one band underrated they were on the house party soundtrack arts and crafts they had a song on their on their first album i can't remember the name of it and i want to get my hands on their album was it so, the what a feeling record it may have been if you got it please email it to me i don't have it but the lead singer of that group sounded just like big bub yeah he did he absolutely did i actually thought it was bub when i first heard it mm. and uh but Arts and Crafts was dope. They was on Select Records, right? Or was it Motown? Select or Motown? Uh, I think they were on, I want to say Motown, do not quote me, but another person out of the New Jack Swing era that I think, you know her name, you know mm -hmm. her voice, the secret sauce, Tammy Lucas. Oh, man, come on. You know, she's doing house music now. I just saw, I just saw something on, um, What's the name of the site? It's like the House Music Bible site. Because I told you my new project is all dance house music. Mm. And um, she, I think she did a record 
I really think it's her. She did a record with um, Terry Hunter, who's one of the biggest people in that scene. Mm. Matter of fact, he, he did all the remixes for the Beyonce album. Mm. Um, yeah, Tammy Lucas, her voice was crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, speaking of her, the one track I played over and over on the Love album was the one that sampled Goodbye Love by God, which Mary sampled on the My Life album. album. And just yeah. to kind of think how New Jack Swing is still being felt, being relevant to this day to where Puff took the Goodbye Love album, Goodbye yeah. Love song from Guy mm-hmm. and, and sampled it in the way it still I sounds fresh. After Bruno Mars, I really thought New Jack Swing was getting ready to make a super big comeback. I, I, really I, I thought so too, because when I heard Finesse, to me it sounded like a cut that was left off of Ralph Tresman's debut album. Yeah. I really thought that was going to be... um. <laughs> I really thought that was going to be, you know, but, uh, you know, he switched directions and went super R&B, and, mm-hmm. you know, so, but, you know, it, it's still, everything comes back. Everything. Yeah, because yeah, when I listened to that 24 Karat album, you can definitely hear the influence of Don't Be Cruel all over oh, that whole record. Listen, look at Beyonce, look at Drake's last album before this one, and look at Beyonce's last album. All that shit is Chicago and New York house music, bro. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Well, you know, I got my start. Our first hit record was a was a New York house record that just mm-hmm. happened to go global, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I decided to do a project. You know mm-hmm. that, and my mother. You know, I just I lost my mother recently, and she wanted me to do a, a solo project. She was like, "You got to do one." Mm-hmm. So after she passed, I was like, "Okay." I'd already started. I started actually during the pandemic. But I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was going to do with it. But then um, me and Eric did the um, Tom Joyner cruise. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of the house artists was on it. And I reconnected with like D-Train and Ten City and Elias, who made Follow Me. Um, Keith Thompson, who made Great for Love. And I was like, and then when I saw the people, and then, you know, I, I'm, I always work on every C.C. Rogers album because that's this big bro. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then I realized, you know, this nigga's been in Ibiza for like two and a half months straight. Mm-hmm. Man, let me do, and, and I'm highly respected in the genre, so I was like, let me do this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's how when I did the first thing. I wanted to try something different. I did mm-hmm. FaceTime Breakdown. That's not traditional house. Right. But, you know, a lot of people said it reminds them of like Set It Off by Strafe, that kind of energy. Y'all want this party started, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So um, I did that, but the new single is getting ready to come out in like three weeks, and the name of it is I Am, and it features Roland Clark, who is a legend in the dance music game. He's, he's, he's on tour right now with Black Coffee, if you're familiar with who Black Coffee is. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you, matter of fact, they get ready to play The Garden next week. And uh, it's I'm, I'm real comfortable. There's no age restrictions. There's no, you haven't done one of these records in 20 years. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Right. That music, I, I find that music very much in the same nature as like gospel music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? As people dance and they dance to get away from life and right. get away from stress. And right. Especially like you go to a party in Ibiza, man, or in Berlin, if you ever have a chance to go to one of them parties out there, mm-hmm. that, that, it's like church. Right. And we're talking about House and how the Renaissance album, to me, it felt like an updated version of 90s House, but really the pioneers of House, at least from what I know it, was the late Frankie Knuckles and Larry LeVan and yeah. Paradise Garage and how that started the whole movement 
of house, and then of course Chicago. Well, that's what took to it national. That's what took it national. It had already existed because mm -hmm. it, it was an underground. You know, it was hugely gay. Right. You know what I mean? So a lot of people, if you wasn't gay, you had to be open-minded and very comfortable in your own skin to mm -hmm. go to the parties. But I would go because I love the music. And Larry right. Levan is personally, him and Timmy Regisman are personally responsible for, for my career because they broke without me. Without, Timmy got us the deal and Larry Levan was the first person to ever play it and it went crazy. The next day, either Chuck Chill Out or Red Alert played it on the radio. Mm. And then the day after that, Frankie Crocker played it, and it was out of here. Now, was there uh, is there a difference between at that time house records that came out of New York, house records that came out of Chicago, and house records that came out of Detroit? Yes, Detroit was more tech based, you know, more Grizz, more. Um, I'm sorry, I keep wiping my nose, bro. I know. This no, it, it's life. Life happens. <laughs> um, but um. No, Detroit was more tech. Um, Chicago was definitely more like underground, grimy. You know what I mean? And Marshall Jefferson, I know you know who he is. Gotta have house music. You know, he's another mentor and big brother of mine. And all these people are helping me on my project, by the way, that I mentioned. People are wow. showing up here and there. Wow, and I'm also putting a lot of new artists on it, too. Yeah, that's but, um, dope. Yeah, so, but, you know, them, them guys... They, a lot of them didn't even know how to work the machines. They got what they could get out of it and then just mm. put the record out and it worked. Mm. What made Without You different for us than a lot of that Chicago stuff, it was the first house record, club record that the streets bought into. Mm. You know, because again, we were hip hop kids, but we did a house record. So I still had a real New York swagger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it would be nothing to pull up in front of, pull up in front of the Palladium or one mm. of the hip hop clubs and I'll uh, pull up in front of Willie Burgers on 145th Street and everybody's blasting without you out their cars or the drug boys and everybody's out there blasting it. It mm -hmm. was the first time that crossed over the mainstream. And I got another thing for you that you probably didn't know. We played the Paradise Garage the final night. Wow. We we played there the final night. Because without you was like their anthem. Mm -hmm. like their anthem. We played there four times in one year. Yeah, that that's definitely crazy. We mentioned Chicago House. You got to miss Jesse Saunders on and on. Yeah. Baby wants to ride. I think that was Jamie. Baby Principal. wants to ride. Jamie Principal, and that's one of my favorite house records of all time because it reminded me of Prince. Mm. It remind it, it remind because it you know the way him and Frankie did it. It was a direct ripoff of um, White Horse. Oh yeah, the laid back record that Monique yeah. uh, ended up sampling and touching. I think that was produced by Jack Knight. I love the way you just keep going down the rabbit hole. But yes, yes. But 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 it had like a Prince element to it. So I was a big Prince fan. So I really liked that record. That Intense City, man. Like Byron is one of my favorite singers ever. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when you hear Byron Stingley's voice, you know it's him automatically. Right. You know, so like Devotion. Um, Ten City had so many hits, bro. Yeah. You know, that's the way love goes. Mm -hmm. They had joints. Yeah, because even though this record was a house rec a rap record, it had house elements. If you go back and listen to Queen Latifah single Coming to My House. Oh, that, that, house. Was, that, that was a Jersey house. Yo, that was a house record that she just happened to rap on. And you see they do it again. Look at look at little dude. Um who is he work? Come on, his biggest hit of his career. That's a house record, bro. Mm. I can't remember the, I just want to get down. Ain't that the name of it? 
Yeah, I think I think so. But you know, house music, you know, definitely should be up there mentioned more, you know, especially given, you know, think of that run in the 90s you had with Robin Ness, CC Penniston, um, Martha Wash on the vocals for CNC Music Factory, Black Box, of course, you know, everything that came after that. And speaking of the whole thing with Martha Wash CNC, uh, there's a documentary that's getting ready to drop on the 24th of October about Millie Vanilli and uh, how, you know, even though Girl You Know is True, Blame It on the Rain, Greg Records, and I believe Kevin Lyles was a part of a rap group that did a record called Great Notion or something. It was he was in Baltimore at the time, I think. And they ended up getting some points or something from it. But and Baltimore has their own style of house music. They have their own style. Jersey has their own style. Chicago has their own style. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see these these other groups like Disclosure, where Sam Smith came out of it. Mm-hmm. They ain't doing nothing but soulful house, bro. Right. You know definitely, what I mean? Shining it up a little bit. Yeah, definitely, Dad. And speaking of, you know, the Brits, and now I believe they do the best at really keeping R&B true, authentic, you know, because if we go back and we listen to George Michael's Faith album and prior to that, the Wham stuff, yeah. it was it was the Wham stuff, especially on the Make It Big album, it mm-hmm. felt like an updated version of Motown. I mean, wake me up before you go. Go ahead, that same pop, that same bounce. That, that's on Motown record. That song is my guilty pleasure. I love that song. Always have. Wake yeah. me up before you go. Go. Always mm. love that. Yeah, but you knew George was destined for more. Oh, yeah. Than just wham and when well, you know what his breakout out? moment was. George Michael's breakout. It was a 25th anniversary or something like that special of Apollo, and George Michael came out and sang with Stevie Wonder, and held his own. That was his breakout moment. Like that's when I was like, "Wham is over." The mm-hmm. second I saw that, I was like, "Wham is." And I had to be like sixteen when that came on. I was like, "Wham is over," because yeah. he hung with Stevie. Not many people can hung with hang with Stevie, bro. No, because I remember as a kid watching Video Soul and seeing One More Try and I Want Your Sex and Faith on BET, <laughs> and how that was the first album by a white artist to go number one on the R and B charts, and he ended up winning the. American Music Award for Best R&B Artist and Best But it was R&B a great album. album. It was a good album. No, it was a great album. And I think when he got with, with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, mm-hmm. I wish they would have went in further with him because that would have been incredible if they would have did a whole album. Yeah, because I felt if he would have did a full album with Jimmy and Terry, it would have sounded similar, but, if not better, than what they did on the Crash album for Human League. Yeah, yeah. And like Human... It's another one of my top 10 favorite songs of all time. Yeah, great I record. Great record. And if you listen you know to that record. You know what's another one that's dope? Go ahead. And you're probably one of the only people I can say this to when I'm known the record. Remember the song Choose by Color Me Blind? Mm. I will live and die with you. Oh, Color Me Bad? Yeah, Color Me Bad. You yeah. remember that song? Yeah. That's, that's another one of my favorite songs. Yo, Jimmy and Terry, and if we talk about Jimmy and Terry, we got to talk about the Avila brothers. I don't know if you know who they are. Bobby Ross Avila is Avila. Bobby okay. Ross Avila, dope artist. I mean, his album, yeah. The My Love, La La Love. And then, of course, later their work with Usher and Confessions, the behind the scenes. Those two bad, bad brothers. Man, listen, I just did a record with them, too. Um, me and them produced. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a country act that we produced. 
named mm. Mike Smith and Snoop is rhyming on it. Nice. The name of the, the record didn't come out yet. It's called Get Son. And I actually met the Arena Brothers through, I knew about them years ago. Mm. But uh, I got cool with them through Mike Smith. And they just opened up a studio in Nashville. And you know, Nashville is my second home. So I'm, I plan on spending a lot of time in that studio. But yeah, we did, we did, a, we did a project together. It was, it was an honor for me because there's some of the, they, that's another crew two who don't get their credit, bro. Bobby and Iz, they don't get their credit. Nope, nope. Jimmy and Terry give it to them. Jimmy and Terry give them their flowers. Mm-hmm. They should be mentioned in like some of the top ten producing crews ever. Yeah, and your thoughts on Usher headline in the upcoming Super Bowl? Yes, that's. Ah. I'm sorry, somebody's no, no worries. No, no worries, but I also felt like it was going to be a matter of time seeing how Usher is. Yeah, so when Usher headlined in the Super Bowl halftime show, it just kind of shows, you know, what he'd been doing in Vegas. And then, of course, the work he'd been putting in since he was a kid, because I always felt the debut album should have gotten more love, more attention. But everybody really caught on once he got with JD in the My Way album. Absolutely. But and like I said, the only word I said when I heard he was doing halftime is yes, because I think he's been an icon and superstar for years. And, you know, the Villa brothers are his MDs for his live shows. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm happy for them. You know, that's the biggest stage in the world, bro. It gets no All bigger. Eyes than are going to be on you. And it's trying it's tough trying to figure out what's going to be the set list for that show, because you get hits on hits on hits on hits on hits. Uh, and he only got 12 minutes. So, you know, there's a lot to do. And, you know, he got some great people. Here's a question. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Who do you think had the best Super Bowl halftime show ever? Uh, To me, that I've seen, top two. Michael Jackson's two. Mm -hmm. Number one, Prince. Yeah, we're on the same thing. We're on the same thing. I think Beyonce was right there, too. I'll give her the the number three. But, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, B B is up there too, and another band that I felt was underrated. You probably may know who I'm talking about, or you may not. They were out of Oak Park, Michigan. They came out a year or two before Ready for the World. They were signed to Quest Records, Quincy Jones's label. Dream Boy. Oh, don't go! It's one yep. of my favorite songs, bro. <laughs> I just sent that song. A friend of mine just started up. Let's think about starting an R&B podcast, and I sent her that song. Like, you got to uncover treasures that most people don't know about. And mm-hmm. don't go with one of them treasures. Yeah, because I think what happened with them was, um, they, like I said, they came out before Ready for the World, but Ready for the World had that push from uh-huh. Electrifying Mojo, who was a radio legend, radio staple in Detroit. And, mm-hmm. of course, Ready for the World, awesome in their own right, great in their own right. <laughs> Catch my throwback interview with Melvin Riley. And they pretty much that. were... You know, when I look at that whole time frame, mid eighties, yeah. everybody was pretty much imitating the Minneapolis sound, or at least doing their own attempt at it. And uh, really let's keep studying it what Prince. Go ahead, keep it a book. Ready for the world. Whole first album was based off of one Prince album. I mean, one Prince song, "Lady Cab Driver." Listen to "Lady Cab Driver," then go back and listen to that first and half of the second. That whole it was old Sheila's based on. I never realized it until <laughs> until you mentioned it. You can listen to those back to back and say, okay, they were definitely studying hard what was going the on. Ramming in the Girl, 
the Ramit girl on that first album, which I I, I love that song a lot. I'm I'm a Ready for the World fan, and I I'm one of the people that love Melvin Riley's voice. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't consider him a singer, but I'm like his tone, and he knew who he was as a singer, and he mastered that spot. Let's let's like Aaron Hall. Aaron Hall may have a spot this mm. big where his vocal range is comfortable, mm. but he does in that space is mm. inhuman. You understand what I'm saying to you? Mm. You ain't never gonna hear no him hit no super falsettos mm. or do no super baritones, but within that spot right there, mm. you're outstanding anybody except Charlie Wilson and Stevie Wonder. Mm, d- definitely that. And then with this person, I felt vocally and production wise, she found her stride once she got with uh, the late Reggie Lucas and the late James and Tume. Uh, Stephanie Mills. I went back and listened to her earlier stuff prior to getting with them. It was good stuff, but when she got with Reggie Lucas and James and Tume, that was when everything, you know, really took off. Because you knew vocally Stephanie Mills could blow, but now at that point she had the records that really showcased vocally what 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 she could really do. Well, here's another story for you. Tunes is one of my mentors. I known him since I was. 11, 12 years old. I went to school in Jersey. I got kicked out of the New York City school system. We don't need to talk about that. But I couldn't go to school nowhere in the five boroughs of New York. Wow. In junior high school. They kicked me out. My mother had to go to court to get me back in school in New York. But in the meantime, I went to a private school in Newark, New Jersey called Chad School. Mm. And um, Michael, Michael, Michael B. Jordan went there. Okay. Um, after me, of course. Mm. But um, and Toon's kids, Ife and Fa, went there. And, you know, he used to talk to me because he knew I loved music. And then, I think I mentioned to you before, I had a group after In Touch that never came out after we spent $2 million on the album, GHP. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure yeah. Jazz mentioned it to you when mm-hmm. you did the interview with him because he was in the group with me. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually came in and oversaw some of it. When we was having beef with the record company, mm-hmm. he was like the buffer because they were getting in our way of what we was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And Toombs came in and uh, chose our side and pissed the label off. <laughs> but, mm. but yeah, I knew him for the majority of my life. God bless the dead. He was an amazing, amazing man. Yeah, definitely amazing. And because of Entume, we <laughs> got Juicy Fruit and Juicy yeah. Fruit, Biggie for Juicy. Yeah. And didn't want to do the record. Yeah. And once again, bringing it back to Puss Genius to where he knew, okay, I need something sweet for the radio, for the clubs, yeah. give me the hardcore stuff, put on mixtapes on B-sides. But we got to yeah. have something commercial. Let, Club let, let, always let thinking Wu-Tang, commercial. Let Wu-Tang have the streets. Let's take this to the radio. That's what he was thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was smart. Now, Wu-Tang, it was just such a, an enigma that they, they was able to do both. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about it, Wu-Tang is the Parliament Funkadelic of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Think right. about what they did. Same thing George Clinton did. Same mm-hmm. exact thing. We're going to put the Funkadelics over here. We're going to put Parliament on this label. Bootsy, mm-hmm. you go over here. Catfish, you're going to do a solo album over here. We're going to do a whole other group called Uncle Jam's Army. You're going to be on that label. And they was just getting checks from everywhere. And yeah. that's what Wu did. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah so but Pop understood. He, he, he understood the balance between, you know, he wanted to be classy, man. You look at Puff now, still classy. You know what I mean? Whether you love him or hate him, you ain't never seen him out here looking bad. 
Yeah, like I said, the school of Andre Harrell, and I was looking, it was a video of a record called Come Do Me. It was Jizza. it was pre-Wu-Tang, but when you hear that record, very, very similar to a Father MC record. Yeah, well, you know, that's when he was Prince Rakim. You mm. know what I mean? So yeah, I'm a Father MC, ooh. Man, that, I haven't talked about him in a minute. That, that, that's a that's enough. Once again, come, come out of Uptown, and if you yeah. listen to the vocals of the "I'll Do for You" record, you can hear Young Mary J. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I was at that video shoot. Oh, really? Do, do do tell. Give us a behind the stage story of being on that shoot. I was dating a girl that worked for MCA at the time, and I did something stupid, and she hated when I hung out with Christopher Williams. Mm. She hated because I know when y'all two get together. You're going out in the streets being a hoe. And we were like, who, us? Never. Mm. So, but something happened. So mm. I was like, let me go to this video shoot. And somebody from uptown had called me and told me about it. Was like, now let me mm. go by the video shoot and bring her some flowers because she worked for MCA and blah, blah, mm. blah. And I didn't even know who Father MC was. Mm. And um, I walked in and they were doing that. And I was like, I saw Mary on stage. And of course, they wasn't really singing. But I was like, Who's that girl mouthing that part? Is that her really singing? They're like, yeah, Uptown Designer. Kurt Woodley told me. Yeah, I just bought her, because he's the one who bought her. her, her mm. Him and Jeff Red is who bought her there. You know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how I was there. So that was, everybody was there. It was like a party within the party. Yeah, and speaking of Jeff Red, Jeff Red's album, definitely a sleeper album, covered I Found Loving by the Fatback Band. And yep. like you mentioned, you know, gave us Mary J and yep. like I said, that whole uptown movement, you know, was something. And one group I felt should have blown up rap wise, two females. You know who I'm talking about, Vanessa and Sequence. But that was the beginning. They were still they they were the growing pains. You know what I mean? Mm. But I got a trivia question for you. One day we got to do a show with this asking each other a trivia question. Yeah, we we definitely got to do that. R and B trivia. Um, who was the first artist signed to uptown? First artist on Uptown. Was it Heavy D and the Boys? A rapper named Fat Doug. Fat Doug. He was, was signing. He's on somebody's remix. He's on Mary's first remix. Uh, one of her singers. Cat from the Bronx, really good friend of mine. Mm. He was the first Uptown artist. Mm. And I didn't notice either. Um, I went back and looked at the liner notes for the Living Large album, Heavy D and the Boys. Marlon Marl did a good chunk of that album. Yeah, he did. He, he was, was the in the Uptown Kicking It video. Yeah, but he was the dude at that time. Like, Molly Marr, people talk about him, but they don't talk about him enough, dog. He was the Dr. Dre of that moment. Yes, he definitely was. I mean, all the stuff he did with Cold Chilling. Uh -huh. um, he did a remix for Straight Up with Paula Abdul, which mm -hmm. was really dope. And speaking of Cold Chilling, did you have a chance to see the Biz Marquee documentary? That just dropped on Showtime. I, I cried. I cried like a baby. Dog. I cried like a baby. I knew. I knew this was one of the first people I met. Like when you know when I started like hanging out, going to parties a lot, and all that. Mm -hmm. And Bid was authentically a beautiful soul. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be. You'll never hear somebody go, "Yeah, I ain't like that nigga Biz," unless mm -hmm. they just a miserable person. Mm -hmm. So his story and the way they did it. And when I saw Rakim in tears, you know what I mean? 
Now, you got to understand what Rakim is to me. First of all, he's my favorite rapper of all time. Mm. I am so enamored with that man. I've been around him 30, 40, did shows with him, whole shit. Mm. I've never gone to school. Mm. Never. Because I'm just that. He played that position in my life. Like, there's mm. never the two coolest people I've ever seen in my life mm. is Rakim and Prince. Mm. I've never seen two. I had to end up talking to Prince because he was giving me a check. Mm. You know what I mean? But Rakim, I just, like, he was just the epitome of cool. And he was the complete, the complete blueprint to the mob, to the Jay Z's, to the Nas. It was him. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I got to see him on the force tour and still vocally sounding like he did back in 87 on paid and, and cool. cool. And the cool is still there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Ain't nobody looking at Rock Him and like, oh, that nigga's old. That mm -hmm. nigga's still like and he give you the business if you going if you want to see him after the show. Right. And then also seeing LL on that tour for me, I think this was his first tour since the Nitro tour. And to see it where it was like, oh, he ain't lost a step. Don't let oh, this no. Hollywood, don't let this Hollywood stuff fool you. I can still get busy if I want to. L, all this talk about the GOAT, the L, not only did he come up with the term, L is the GOAT. I don't care what no one says. I'm not saying he's the best rapper, but the all-encompassing of everything, mm -hmm. L is the GOAT. He's been here longer than everybody. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And if it wasn't for him, no Def Jam. Exactly. So he's the GOAT, man. He, he's the GOAT. He's done so much for the for the history of hip-hop, you know, no matter what you may think of him as a person. Mm. And I ain't got no problem with him. But, yo, every time I've been around him, he's been the most humble, nice dude. You know right. what I mean? Right. I got a lot of respect for him. Right. And a couple last things because I want to get you out of here on. Um, in the movie Crush Groove, before, I believe it was the Fat Boys came on to perform, yeah, there was a kid singing... <laughs> This record called Be My Girl. For those that don't know, that's Chad, aka Dr. Seuss. Chad, Dr. Seuss Elliott, who produced Stilo for 702. Yes, and he produced a lot of other records. Like he he was he was hot as fisheries for a minute. And he was being managed by Mark, who used to be my agent over at ICM. Mark Siegel. Because Mark Siegel left ICM to go to Uptown. Mm. Yeah, now Chad, Chad is a very talented brother. Very talented. Definitely talented, definitely dope. And who um, else I think is an amazing producer that no one talks about his production skills is Kwame. Kwame is dope as shit. Mm. Think about the song he did for Monica, man. With Missy. Mm. What's so, the name of that song, Monica? When Monica rapping talk about through a brick through your car window. Maybe, so gone? Know? Yeah. Kwame produced that. Thing. And I think he did On Fire for 50 Cent, but I think he went under another name. I think it was K1 Mill or something like that at he the time. But he's produced a lot of hits on the low, bro. He he, I always thought he was exceptional. Always. Mm, and, and he was another Prince fan, too. So whenever we would get together, we would talk about Prince stuff. Right. And then I think another rapper, I think everybody is now starting to say, okay, this dude was dope. Dude was dope. You always knew he was nice, but didn't really get mentioned enough. Special Ed. Oh, yeah. Well, shit. And another cat I did mad shows with. And um, and he was always a cool, humble dude. He, he was the perfect, smooth, cool, laid-back Brooklyn kid. Everything about him screamed Brooklyn. Only people I could think about that's more Brooklyn than him when I think about Brooklyn is M.O.P. and Jazz. I mean, Jay-Z, sorry. Mm -hmm. And Jazz, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, MOP is eating right now, you know, thanks to the Ninja Turtles movie using Annie up. I mean, NFL. you got I mean, you got kids thinking about going 7:30 on somebody saying, come up off your lunchbox. Yo, NFL, it's their theme song. Oh, yeah, Thursday night prime on Amazon yeah. Prime. So hopefully Billy Dan's and Fame, y- y'all should be getting them checks. I, I, probably once or twice a week. Because a lot of his solo stuff, well, you know, I you know I produce songs on MOP too, but I I always produce on his solo stuff a lot, mm-hmm. and you know he's also one of my closest friends in the business. Mm-hmm. So you know, me and him talk all of the time. But I was like, boy, y'all having a hell of a year. But Andy Up is one of them records that'll never die. Will be gone, and that record will still be in somebody's movie. It you know, it mm-hmm. it will represent an anarchy somewhere. That right. song will always be here. Right, and then with the BT Hip Hop Awards, not the Hip Hop Awards, I think it was the award show. I was glad to see Buster get the Lifetime Achievement Award. That was and to really see celebrate, see him celebrated. I mean, to think he started off in Leaders of the New School. Um, I think the album was called Leaders Without a Pass or Knowledge Without a Pass with Something just like another ca- just another case of that old PTA, and to see yeah. where he went solo wise. In the seed where now, I mean, Buster st- always been a star though. From the first time you saw him, he was a standout. Yeah, the camera just popped. Yeah, he knew how he he's a he's an entertainer, mm-hmm. and and he's a groundbreaker. He never dressed like everybody else. He never tried to act like everybody else. He's always been his own thing, love it or hate it. And I'm I'm glad he's finally getting his flowers because he needs to. When you talk about Nas and Jay, Buster right. needs to be mentioned in that conversation. Right, and then let. Yeah, Biggie, everything. And then the last thing I want to get you get you out on, she's going to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. That's long. From the 757, That's Missy Misdemeanor Elliott. Can we just talk about her and celebrate her for a minute? Innovator. That's the word that comes to mind, innovator. Always comfortable in her own skin, even if she wasn't. You didn't know that. You know what I mean? And fearless. Think about every artist you think is great. The Busta Rhymes, the Missy Elliotts, the the the, the Princes, the Michael Jackson, the Beyonce's. Fearless. Don't give a fuck what you think. This is what I this is what I feel. This is who I am. And I'm giving it to you. And that's why people resonate, resonated toward these people because it's authentic and people feel authenticity, bro. Mm-hmm. They do. And hence they're like, huh? Like, She's the closest thing to Lauren Hill. Mm. You know what I mean? Two completely polar opposites musically. Mm. But think about them. Like they both could do every and anything. Right. And yeah, Lo- yeah Lauren Hill. Quick shout out to Salam Remy <coughs> and Booger Basement. I mean, yeah. what they were doing. But the Salam Booga- Remy, another mm. amazing producer who doesn't get talked about enough. I'm talking about Amy Winehouse. Nas, you know what I mean? Like he did major, major stuff. And he should, another person who should be constantly talked about, but industry people talk about him. The world don't know. But that's also part of his personality. He's very laid back, very cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's a music business veteran. His father was an executive. Wow. Yeah, definitely proof is in the pudding. And a good dude. Mm-hmm. Great guy, great guy. So tell us about the new single that's going to be dropping and where can folks find it? All right, it'll be out. October 27th. The name of it is I Am, featuring Roland Clark, house dance music legend. Um, 
it's a different kind of record, but I think it resonates with everybody. It definitely makes you shake your ass. And um, I'm very excited about where I am musically, man. Like, I've never been in a, in, a, in a creative mode like this. Like, I can easily do three, four records a day right now. Or if I'm in the middle of mixing one, I'm creating another one when I, when I need to rest my ears for mixing. I'm creating something else. And then I'm writing lyrics to something else. And then, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I'm in that mode right now. And uh, I don't know why I am, but, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, a lot of it makes me feel like it's my mother up there going, hey, boy, get to work. And this is throwing me all this creative energy. I don't know, but if it is, I just hope I'm making a crowd. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed, man. I try to stay in the gratitude. That's all I want to be is gratitude. I never need to be filthy. I just, I just need to be in a moment of grace. I need to be forever grateful, man. I want to be in a moment of grace, grateful, and, and stay, in, stay in the energy of gratitude, man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it is for me right now. Me yeah. and my baby. Say bye, Momo. Say bye. <laughs> so tell us where your where your social medias are, where can folks get the single free, and free under at free underscore the dreamer at on um IG. Um Facebook Free Smith. Nobody nobody under 35 is on Facebook no more. <laughs> free underscore, I mean free Smith on, on Facebook. I don't think I got room for friends, but feel free to follow me. Um, TikTok, free the dreamer. Um, yeah, man, life is good, man. My family's good. I'm a grandpa now. My oldest son had twin girls. Congratulations. Oh, he, he's going to be on the track for the rest of his life. He has no idea. I get to give him back. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, you know, you think when you reach these age, like when you get 50, you're like, oh, life is over. Mm-hmm. I feel like a kid on the inside, man. Like I, mm-hmm. I like I'm very excited about what life could be. And it doesn't even matter how much further it goes. It's as long as I stay in the now of it and stay in a stay grateful. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm at, bro. I'm grateful for you, Jay. Yeah, I'm grateful for you, man. And you can take two steps to the right and <laughs> listen to this interview wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube at youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And remember, next time we do one of these. It's going to be trivia, me and you, and I'm going to bust your ass. You're going to get this work. I'm going to bust. I know you got a cleaner mouth than me, but I'm a Bronx nigga. Don't ever I know. forget that. I know. So I'm coming to bust your entire ass. Hey, come come with it. We 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 go. I'm gonna hold you to that. Next next time I'm gonna have you on. It's gonna be RB trivia, and uh-huh. y'all can get the smoke too. If you're watching, if you're listening, I'm gonna come like Nas on Ether, and that is <laughs> a bet, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, my brother, free free. Thank you Salute. for coming on, bro. Salute. Much yes, love, sir. Jay, to you and your family, brother. All the best. Thank you, bro. All right, peace.